You know, by now, if you've been around as long as I have, you're not quite sure what I'm going to do. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do is the problem. I, I had to laugh with, uh, yes, Linda and Cindy, and how, you know, the brother, the sister, you know, I was here before they were. <laughs> well, maybe not Greg. I was on staff before Greg was. Greg's been here since he was born. So he's got, how old are you, Greg? 25. 25, okay, I've been here longer than he has. 52? No, times two. Oh, times two, okay, 50. So, you know, I, I, I kind of see them as my children, if you understand what I mean, or, or maybe, even my grandchildren. No? Okay. You know, if you could just understand how special this time of worship is. I, I, when you're up front, you don't get to experience that so much because your mind is going in 16 different directions. And my mind tends to do that, and it never stops very long at any one. So, but as I stood back there and watched this, I... It was fun watching you worship God. As a pastor, it's hard for you to, would it help if I stood back? I'm getting a lot of feedback. See if you can turn that down a little bit. I'll get loud enough, don't worry. Are we all right now? Okay, that may be better. As, as a pastor, you, you stand and, and you watch and you think, okay, what's going to happen next? Are they going to do it? Is so, somebody ready? You know, how's the temperature? How's the lighting? What's it look like? Oh, yeah, somebody just came in. Oh, no. You know, those are the thoughts you have. When I'm not the pastor, I can stand back there and just say, wow, this is good. And watching some of you sing, Watching some of you jump around and do what you were doing, it was like I was living vicariously through you. You know, you get a certain age and you don't jump around quite as much. But it's fun to watch that worship going on. I, I have to laugh also because when I get a chance to preach, and it's been a couple of years since I've preached here in this church, of course, my wife always has some suggestions. And, and quite often she's very positive with me and, and all, and I appreciate that. I tend not to remember those things. What I tend to remember are things like, you're not as funny as you think you are. <laughs> and so that keeps playing through my mind. The second thing is she said just this morning before I left, she says, don't overdo it. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, you know. <laughs> then when we gathered together to pray before our, our time here, and, and bless you prayers that uh, you do gather together with the pastor and the praise team, and you pray for this service, that's important. But I, I stopped them before they were going into prayer, and I said, well, how long do I have to preach? And bless Greg's heart, he said, 30 minutes. I said, well, about the time that 30 minutes came out, Linda said, five minutes. <laughs> so I'll probably be somewhere in between those two, and I say probably because it's probably already been five minutes. It won't be less than five minutes. It might be 30 minutes or more. I hope not, and, and you hope not. You know, you get a chance to preach, and 
you begin to understand as you're thinking, what will I preach on? You begin to understand that times are different. You know, when I was pastoring this church, it was, it was a different time. Different things were expected from me. I see Catherine Dalton back here, and Catherine and Bob made it very clear to me when I first came. You know, a, a good pastor, what, what is a good pastor, Catherine? Wears his robe. And so not wanting to displease anybody, I pulled my robe out of mothballs, and I wore my robe. And then after a little while, I can say this now because fire me, I don't care. <laughs> after a little while, I stopped wearing my robe, and I, I wore my suit. You know, and, and that wasn't real comfortable. And then after a little while, I shed the jacket and just wore a shirt and a tie. Um, pants, too, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> I know, I'm not as funny as I think I am. So then I just wore the, the shirt and, and the tie. And after a little while, I shed the tie. And so now I'm to the point, and, and all the cool preachers are this way. They, they wear shirts like this. And my wife said, Steve, you need to get a shirt like that when you preach. So I got a shirt like this. So here I am changing the way I do things. Now, some of you are sitting back here saying, oh, heaven forbid, you know, I remember those good old days. You know, the other thing, and probably 95% of the things I preached on, I, I went with three points. You know, I used to teach speech. And I always taught my students, I said, tell the people what you're going to tell them. Tell them that in three points. Two's not enough, three or four's too many. And then tell them what you told them. And I did that for years. Today, I'm, I'm experimenting. There won't be three points. In fact, I'm not even sure what there's going to be. So we will see what happens with that. So once I understand things are changing, there's one thing that I understand that doesn't change. And that's God's word. And so that was a no-brainer for me. I knew God's word stands. It doesn't change no matter what society says, no matter what our country does, no matter what the world does, no matter what other people think, God's word stands. So that was a no-brainer. I, I had that figured out. Then the question is, okay, what do I preach in God's word? I mean, I've preached maybe a thousand sermons. Wow, I got a thousand sermons to choose from. But what's the fun of that? And so I decided I'm not even going to look at sermons that I've preached in the past. Uh, God, what are you telling me? What would you say to people like we have here today? And so then my mind begins to think, okay, if Jesus had one message he was going to give, what would he begin to say? And with that, because I'm teaching a men's Bible study, there was some passages because we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And I, I could look at Jesus and say, okay, what did he come for? He came for, okay, men in my Bible study, what did Jesus come for? To teach and preach. To teach and preach. He had a message. He had a message to give. And he had disciples who were following him. He needed to teach and preach. And so I thought, okay, so what was he teaching 
and preaching. Well, it so happens about this time when I knew I was going to preach, we were in Mark chapter 10, and they're going to put up Mark chapter 10 here, and, and I want you to notice some things in this passage. And then we're going to go to Mark chapter 12 because there's some similarities there, and yet in those similarities there are some differences, and I want us to see that as well. Notice up here, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, saying, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You got that? He comes up, he says, Good teacher, what must, what's that word there? I do to inherit eternal life. Now, I can understand him. I mean, I would probably be saying the same thing, thinking, okay, here we have Jesus, I, you know, what I've heard about him. I come up to him and say, okay, just tell me what I need to do. I, I want in. I, I want to be a part. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So, look what comes next. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Go to the next verse. You know the commandments. Isn't it interesting that he comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is the rich young ruler. You'll find that in Luke, not Mark. You find it in Luke. So he's coming and saying, what must I do? And Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay, that's a good answer. Look at all of those things that are supposed to be done and not be done. Look at Jesus' response to that in the next verse. Or in the, his response. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. You know, as a pastor, I was a good pastor. I, I wore my robe. Mm-hmm. I didn't preach, well, yeah, I probably did preach too long, but, you know, we all sin. And he says, I, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. So he was this guy who was very practical, very grounded in what a good person was supposed to do. He had the Ten Commandments, and he was keeping those Ten Commandments. But watch what Jesus says to him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Why did he love him? Because he saw that he was trying to be that good person. He had done this, and he had done this, and he had done this, and all the good juice. The Pharisees would say, do these things, and we'll expand it to figure out what other things fit in there. Do those things, and then you're good. You're good to go. Jesus looked at him and saw, you know, you really are doing the things you should be doing, and he loved him. That's cool. Kind of. And the problem kind of is, look what comes next. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Okay, I got good news for you. This is not a sermon on money. Okay, you can breathe a little easier now. Unless 
This is a sermon on money. Why do I say that? If we went to Exodus chapter 20, we're not going to go there because I'll just tell you what it says. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. We are given these 10, these commandments, and the first one is not even mentioned in these here. The first one says, you shall have no God before me. So do you see what's going on here? This rich, wrong ruler comes along and says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, do this, 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 and this. And he says, I got it made. I've done every those things ever since I was a child. And I can see Jesus looking at him and saying, you know, you're right. But you know something else? Those things really don't count. But teacher, I've done them all. Yes, you have. You know, this weekend, we've uh, been a part of a Rotary Club. We've had people from Turkey come and stay with us for the weekend. And then people from our area, I won't be one of them, will go to Turkey in, in May. So we had this one young lady come in and stay with us. She's a business lady in Turkey. And, and uh, I was asking her, I said, you know, what can you eat and what can't you eat? Because, you know, we didn't want to offend every, anybody. And she said, oh, I can eat anything. And I said, oh, you, you can, so anything's all right. She says, yeah, I, I can even eat pork. And I go, oh, really? And she says, well, I, I'm Muslim, but I'm not a very good one. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay. And I said to him, well, what makes it so that you're not a very good Muslim? Oh, they have all those rules, and I don't like all those rules. Okay. Aren't we kind of like that? As Christians, aren't we kind of like, well, there are those Ten Commandments. I do that one, that one, that one. Oh, I don't like that one. Forget that one. But I do this one, and that one's not so good either. I don't like rules, but I'm a good person. This rich young ruler comes along and says, I'm a good person. I follow all of these things. And Jesus says, yes, but there's one thing that you do not do. He says, he says, you do not consider yourself in a position of being less than other people. You do not think bad things against other people. No, he didn't say any of those, did he? He says, you have money. And guess what? Why is money important to this man? Because it is. And that's the point. Jesus says, your God is not in any one of these rules. Your God is in what you spend the most time doing, what you think about most, what you worry about most, and that's all that you have. You see, this isn't about money if, if you don't have that problem. Whatever your problem is, whatever my problem is, that's the problem. Do we have any God before our God? That's what Jesus is saying. 
Money's not the issue. But what is your God? By the way, let me compliment you. You're not home watching the Seahawks right now. And I know some of you are saying, I'm not telling them I'm recording it. Well, I know, me too. So we cannot talk about the Seahawks today, at least here at church, because I'm recording it. I don't want to know or you'll ruin everything. Okay? For some of you who are not here, by the way, those of you who are listening online and doing that and you have the Seahawk game on, you don't get credit for church today. <laughs> it's only fair, right? For some, the Seahawks, that's their God. They have Seahawk colors on their cars. They have Seahawk clothing. They have flags. They have this. They have that. All they ever do is talk about the Seahawks. And, and when Pete Carroll loses, then it's all over. Fire him. Maybe that's your God. Or the Mariners. Hey, they were winning. What happened to them? My God was the Mariners. I'm saying, look at. And then all of a sudden they lose and. You see, I don't know what your God is. You can tell what your God is by where do you spend your time? What do you spend your time thinking about all the time? Where does your money go? Where does your time go? You figure out what your God is. And if that God with a small g is in place of the God Jehovah with a capital G, then we got a problem. Do you understand what we're talking about there? Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and he loved him because he saw he was dedicated to following the laws. Unlike my Turkish friend. <laughs> he was dedicated to it. But his God was his wealth. And by the way, it says that it's harder to get through the eye of a needle for a rich man. Let me suggest one thing here to you. I don't like this part because I'm with you. All of us are filthy rich. Do you know that? In the world's standards, we are filthy rich. I'll leave it at that. So, it is easier for the camel. There we go. You know, there's, there's one place here when this man hears what Jesus has said, it says that he lowered his head and he went away sad. It didn't have to work out that way. Do you understand that? He could have said, Jesus, you are right. But Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Um everything um, but but you, you don't under, but even my IRA even my pension plan see this gets real murky here because we're in a society where we have to make sure that we have enough to last and you're working to be able to do that and, and all that stuff and so I, I'm not preaching money here I'm preaching that if that is your God then there's a problem. And he went away sad. Okay, let's go to chapter 12 of Mark. This is another situation. And 
Understand here that, that Jesus is in a position where they are, are trying to capture him. They're trying to find things against him so that they can kill him. It's getting towards the end of his ministry on earth. And in chapter 12 at the beginning and other places, it says the Sadducees are doing this and the Pharisees are doing this and, and the teachers of the law are doing this. They're following around, they're taking notes, trying to find things to hold them accountable for that do not fit, guess what? The law. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So this teacher of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Notice he didn't say, I in here. He's asking for information. Which is the most important, the teacher of the law? Because remember, the Pharisees liked to take the laws they had and expand them. They liked teaching the laws they had and narrow them down into one. And so this was an appropriate question. Which is the greatest commandment? Look at Jesus' answer. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with, what's that next word? All your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Oh, dang. I'm already missing out. I mean, please know, I, I, I love the Lord my God. I, I, I really do. I'm I just not real good at it sometimes. And, and there's other times that I don't love the Lord my God with all my strength <laughs> and all my soul and, and all of this thing, all of my heart. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor <coughs> as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, I, I love my, well, I love that neighbor. This one is questionable. No, I, I love my neighbor. And, and, and I, have to, I have to confess, okay? I'm, I'm a little embarrassed by this. Because, you know, you, you know you're getting to preach and you want to be real close to God because you want the Holy Spirit to work through you and you don't want anything separating you from your, your connection to God. On the way in, I live out in Orton. On the way in in my car, there's a man who probably every day is out there and he's hitchhiking. And for years I passed him by and I thought one year I'm just going to stop take the chance, and uh, let him get in my car. And so I did, and it was fine and everything, and I took him to where he wanted to go, and, and he's there most every day. Well, dang, here I am today. I'm in my car. I'm driving to come preach. I know, I, this isn't on, right? Oh, it's all off? Okay, not a problem. I can project. So here we go. I'm coming in. I'm going to the church to preach. And here this man is. Oh. No, that wasn't the one. 
What was I thinking about? The good. Now, he's not, oh, there we go. He's not really hurting. He does this every day and all. And I pass him by some days and other days I, I pick him on, pick him up. And, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, Lord, here I'm going to go and serve you. And, and look what you've done to me. I'm preaching on love your neighbor as yourself, and I drive right back, right past. Okay, I'm guilty. Lord, I apologize, forgive me. So he says to this man of the law, this teacher, he says, you know, here is the great commandment. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. So look at the response that uh, this man of the law says. Well, it starts with the well said. There we go. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Verse 33. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he's saying... Exactly what Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with everything, love your neighbor, and he adds this last bit, and this is important. He says, and from then on, no, go back to 33, is more important, what you're doing, what I've told you, is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Notice the difference between this teacher of the law and this rich young ruler. Both good people, it sounds like, but there's a difference. The rich young ruler, what must I do to do this, do all that, go and sell all you have because that is your God above God Almighty, and he leaves because he can't do that. The teacher of the law is saying, okay, you know, here you give us all of these things to do, and these two are more important than burnt offerings than the work that I do. See, we find ourselves like this man, don't we? If I just do this and do this and do this, then I'm a good person. Then, then God will love me. Then God will take care of me. He might even bless me. He might even give me something. You see how that works? To the first one, the rich young ruler, he loved him but said, you're missing one thing. This is what you need to do. To the teacher of the law, he says, well done because you understand it is in your heart that where it matters. It's not by following all of these laws. And so I told our girl from Turkey, I said, you know, yeah, we don't always like our laws, do we? But what's more important is what we have in our heart. Did you get it? Okay. Now, anybody remember the title of this message? Since we never said it. <laughs> what's the title of the theme for the sermons to, to be beyond belief, right? I told them I would preach on beyond belief. Well, you know what that is? Let me tell you what is beyond belief. The good news is it's not our works. It's not how pretty we are, how many church hours we spend here. Not this or that or this or that. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? 
And if you understand that, and if you say, Lord, come into my life as Lord and Savior, and let me underline Lord here, that means I'm yours. I will do what you want me to do. And guess what? I don't do it so I get. I do it because I've already got. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so beyond belief is that somebody would go to the cross and die for me. When I go driving past somebody who might be in need. When I think thoughts maybe I shouldn't think of. When I like my money more than maybe I should. It is beyond belief that Jesus went and died on the cross that I might have life. And guess what? He did it for you as well. Let's pray. Lord God, how special, how special you are. You know, it's beyond belief, Lord, that you would do that. It's beyond belief that God the Father has set this up, that, that we don't have to be perfect, that we can't be perfect, that, that we can come to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.